Well, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn in your copy of the Word of God to the book of Exodus, chapters 3 and 4. We're going to be there today as we continue our series on redemption as God as the Redeemer and what that means to us. And we're not just kind of trying to speculate about what God's redemption means. We're going to see His actual work of redemption in history through the people of Israel in the book of Exodus. And if you do not have a Bible or or know where that is, um, we're not going to cast stones at you either. Uh, You can pick up one of those Bibles in front of you, turn to page 48, and you'll be right where we're reading. Uh, We're going to look at chapter 3, the first 10 verses we're going to read together, but we will be exploring 3 and 4 all together today. By the way, if you do not have a copy of God's Word that you can understand, and you've been kind of like, hey... I would like to know more about the Bible. I just can't really read the one that I've got. There's a lot of these and thous, and I'm not kicking these and thous. Some people can really read that very well, but some people, they have a hard time. We want the Bible to come to you in the plain English and as a translation, so take that Bible in front of you. Hopefully that will be one that you can use, and it'll be our gift to you, uh, not only in this moment, but for, the, for your life if you want it. All right, so stand with me. Page 48, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. As we read the words given to Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit and preserved for the church today, this is what the first ten verses says. It says, Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire was not consumed so moses thought i must go over and look at this remarkable sight why isn't the bush burning up when the lord saw that he had gone over to look god called out to him from the bush moses moses here i am he answered can you imagine a bush talking to you and be like oh he said my name i'm stopping my tracks do not come closer he said Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, I've also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Let's pray. Lord God, today, as we come to your word, may we understand that you have graciously given this to us, and it is not a purposeless book. It is not an outdated book. It is your voice given to a specific people in a specific time, but it's preserved so that we will see the eternal God who makes something that was said yesterday just as powerful and potent today and god may it change our tomorrow in jesus name amen you may be seated so one of our great hopes when it comes to bible study you know whether it's a life group or worship gathering or wherever you may find yourself is obviously to be a place where people can study the bible 
That's kind of like the whole intent of a Bible study. If you go to a Bible study and the study is not on the Bible, you've just entered in a group. You've just entered in a place of fellowship and a place of discussion. But a Bible study is, is helping us understand God's Word. Understanding the authority, the, the incredible gift that it is. Telling us what it has said. So we need to go and see what it says for ourselves. That's why we have versions that we can read in our everyday modern tongue. Uh, to see what it means, that to know that this was not something that was just printed yesterday and dropped out of the sky, that God has provided it in His time and His way for a purpose, to see how it applies, that yes, it meant something then, and it still means that today, but it has all kinds of application to our life. Most of us are probably not shepherds in the backside of the wilderness uh, near um, the Middle East right now, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to our life. It still has an application, even though that was the meaning given at that moment. And then lastly, the Bible is not just a book because it asks us how we'll trust and follow this. How, what is it going to change about our life? It, it leaves us in this moment where we just can't put it on the shelf and walk away. Although I know there are Christians that do that. That is never what the Bible was intended to be for us. It was meant for us to see, this is who you are. Now I must make a decision. I must make a choice of faith to choose and follow and obey you or to reject and disobey you and go my own direction. And so in this part of the Scripture, these first five books of the Bible, we see something about the, the authorship and the audience and the aim. Uh, just to, to get us a little bit of meaning on what it means. The first was the fact that it was authored by and penned by the hand of Moses, but it was inspired by God for the people of Egypt. It was, it was I mean, p- the people of Israel after they were delivered from Egypt. God had a special place and, and, a, and, a, and a meaning for this. And so these people who were slaves for hundreds of years are now being given privilege to hear the voice of God, to experience the presence of God, to see the power of God, and to be hold on to this history of what God has done in their lifetime and preserved through the ages. And while it gives us that history, it also shows us if God does this, why would we not trust Him? We should follow after His direction. We should follow after His command. So that's the first five books of the Bible that sometimes people call the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch. It's, it's, it's the direction. And showing us once again, God is a redeemer. But when He redeems a people, He doesn't leave them purposeless. He doesn't say, all right, my job's done. I'll see you later. He has a reason for what He's done. And He wants to show that to us. Now, the aim of our sermon today, the aim of our Bible study today, when we're looking at Exodus chapters 3 and 4 is to understand that redemption from God, it begins through the revelation of God. That God bringing about His rescue is Him saying, first of all, I I need you to know who I am. A few days ago, my uh, kids are in troops uh, with Trail Life and AHG. Uh, There's some organizations that are gospel-based in in our city, but it's not an advertisement for them, but they're a good place. Um, We went and took a trip to the fire station. To the fire department. And one of the things the fire captain was saying is that he likes to have these moments, these field trips where people come to the fire station because he wants the kids, he wants young people to see them in uniform and know it's okay to trust them in a moment of emergency. Because sometimes they see these big guys in these huge weird helmets and these funny talking masks and they're fearful. But getting that previous knowledge that this is what a firefighter looks like should there be an emergency, it helps them to trust that this is who I'm supposed to follow if, if one of these moments happens, if one of these untimely events occurs. 
And so here, when we see, and we've been looking at the oppression last week of the people of Israel as slaves in Egypt in this time, in this day and age that was happening, God is about to do something. But in, for them to know it is God, he, He's going to show them a bit who He is. And He's going to start with Moses. And when we look and see what's discovered in this revelation that God provides, we see something that's so applicable to our life now. If we're going to understand that God the Redeemer wants us to know Him, He wants to reveal who He is to us, what do we discover in those? Well, the first thing we discover is that it's a close encounter. I was going to cue the music for the Steven Spielberg movie, but I, you guys already know I'm a nerd, so I didn't need to add that element to it. But it is a close encounter. A close encounter means something personal, something evident, something visual. It's not distant. It's not abstract. It's not something that you heard of. It's something that you beheld yourself. It's something that you experienced yourself. And Moses, here in this moment, as, as we shared, while the people of Israel are still in slavery, still multiplying, still being brutally oppressed in the people in the land of Egypt. Meanwhile, 40 years is passing and Moses is in the wilderness. Verses 1 through 6 is not only is he in the wilderness, but he's shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. You may say, I thought his father-in-law was Ruel. Well, his name is probably Ruel Jethro or Jethro Ruel. Um, or this is uh, someone else that's that's related and and but this is his father-in-law, so we are pretty clear that it's probably he has two names. You know, some people have two names. Some people have many names. I myself, I have many, many names. Did you know that? My name is David, Jerome, John, Jacob, Jingleheimer, Schmidt, Danger, Taylor. Yeah, yeah. Because his name is my name too, and Danger is my middle name, so it's obviously got to be there. I know, that's terrible. It's terrible. But you're awake, right? So, uh, here, in this moment, God visits Moses with a very close encounter. And He does it through this burning bush. And it's at the mountain called Horeb. Other places would translate this as Sinai. Uh, and this is on a little peninsula between modern-day Israel and modern-day Egypt that hangs out. That's where most people believe is the, the original site. Some people believe it was in Saudi Arabia, but there's discussion back and forth. But most people conclude... It is Sinai on that peninsula that we still call Sinai. And here it says God appeared to him in the flame of fire. So what does this close encounter tell us about God, about God speaking through this burning bush? One is that God wants to get our attention. One is God wants to get us our attention. And whenever he has our attention, he's going to show us some things in that moment. Not like, hey, let me do a song and dance. Here I am. I'm God. But he's going to show us some things about his character. That's the kind of whole thing when we see and have someone's attention. We start making conclusions and, and have impressions of a person. We start thinking, this is what I know about this person based on their appearance, based on their speech, based on their behavior, based on their dress. It, it, we, we do all these kind of things. Well, God does this too about His nature. When we see Him, He says, I don't want you to think some weird figment about me. I want you to know who I am. And I'm bringing you close to see. And that first is the sacredness of God. That out of all the images God could have used and had used in different patterns before in the book of Genesis, here He uses a flame of fire consuming an earthly tree, and yet the tree was not consumed. Uh, some people call this a theophany. It means an appearance of the invisible God in the Old Testament. And, and here, in this use of fire, we're seeing something that God does throughout the Scripture. 
He used this imagery of fire to say, you know what? I am sacred. I am holy. I am set apart. Think about what we think about fire. When we come, when we start talking about fire, we, we see it and we're amazed by it. Man, we love fire. I love the smell of a good campfire. I want to be near it. I, I love the heat. I'm drawn to it. I like the conversation that happens around it. But we also understand the severity of fire. We understand that if you put too much brush on the pile, you might not be able to get too close to that fire without feeling like your skin is melting off. We understand that if you put too much fuel to ignite that fire, you might blow your eyebrows off or worse. I can testify. Just so you know. We're drawn to it. But God uses this illustration. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, just five books, I mean, three more books passed. In chapter 4, God says that the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And this is not just the Old Testament. In the book of Hebrews, it says that our God is a consuming fire in chapter 12. God uses this imagery to show us that there is something distinct about Him. That He is good, but make no mistake, He is not wimpy. He is potent. He is powerful. There's something incredible about this. And when we think about that, if well, if God's a consuming fire, I know I can be drawn to fire, but I, I can only get so close. If I get too close, I get burned. What am I to do then? If I'm supposed to be in the presence of God, does that mean I'm like, like He's over there and my presence is like right here? Or how, how close? What's appropriate? How do I even manage that? Well, the holiness and sacredness and set-apartness of God throughout the Old Testament They had a system of sacrifices that just declared over and over and over again the holiness of God. But then when we get to the New Testament, we see that that all these promises were telling us that God is going to draw you closer and closer to Him. But the only way that you ever get to be with Him is through Jesus Christ. He is the way to be in God's presence. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're told about Christ Jesus, that He became for us witnesses from God. He is our righteousness, our redemption, our sanctification. That's the only way we get to the sacredness of God is through Jesus. That's why He said He's the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him. But not only in this revelation do we see the sacredness of God, we see the supremacy of God. That He's able to work a wonder. That Moses is just kind of curious about this bush on fire and he's kind of i don't know how far he is how this doesn't give us every clue he didn't say he was so many meters off and he was looking through his scope and seeing this fire and be like well maybe you go to that tree stand he didn't this is not what happened but he saw a bush and apparently it's on fire and after a while he's realized well that fire didn't go out it's not spreading that bush is not dead i'm gonna go see this seems like a good show wait till i tell zipporah about this and jethro jethro will get a kick out of that And he goes over there and sees it. And in the middle of walking to visit this mystery that is this fire that is burning and yet not consuming this bush, the voice of God speaks out. And in this imagery, we've seen God able to make something, what we would say is impossible. We know if we're going to burn a bush, guess what's going to happen? The bush is going to burn. And it's going to go away. It's going to die. No way by our hands can we make this possible. But God in His supremacy makes this possible. And it shows that that God has a never-ending way of revealing the mystery of Himself and how supreme He is above any other element, above any other capability, above any other capacity. But then we see not only the supremacy of God and the sacredness of God, we see the speech from God that He calls 
Moses by name. Once again, this is a close encounter. This is not some general, hey y'all, do this for me. I don't know you, 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 you. I just know y'all. No, he's calling Moses specifically by name. He didn't say, hey boy. He didn't say, hey people. He calls him by his name. And it shows the, the choice and the, and the, the separateness of that God says, I am specifically speaking to individuals through life. That I want them to know directly, personally, by name, I am choosing to say, in this divine appointment moment, this is how holy I am, this is how supreme I am, and I want you to know, I know your name. I know who you are. I have not missed you. You're not some general figure to me that is distant. You're personal to me. And I want to be personal with you. First Peter 2.9 echoes this. We have it on the plaque out there. It's one of my favorite verses. I mean, I love a lot of verses. It's the Bible, of course. But, uh, you know, so that's, I gotta put the preacher, lab, uh, you know, a little asterisk beside it. But it says, you are chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people called for God's possession that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. See, Peter gets this imagery. He says, we understand that the church is a people, but it was God who called you specifically, personally, with his speech to be a part of that people. God has done this work. But here we notice not only the these other... S words, you know, sacredness and speech and supremacy, but we see the seriousness of God. Notice what Moses does. At first he's like, oh, let's go see this bush. And all of a sudden it's calling him by name and saying, hey, by the way, Moses, as you just answered, here I am, and you're trying to probably kind of warn it, am I tripping out here? Is the, is the desert heat really getting to me? I want you to know, I'm the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses is like, oh, he hides his face. And he's no longer like, oh, I'm going to see this bush. He's like, oh, it's God. I can't look because I know what I've heard about God. I'm afraid to look at Him. I'm so afraid. And yet God is knowing the seriousness in this and telling Him to remove His shoes in this moment for this place. God is still yet drawing Him in. But Moses recognizes the seriousness of who He's dealing with. And that's something that we need to deal with as well. We need to understand that, yeah, God is holy and God is supreme and able to work a power beyond us. And we understand that God is personal in how he, he shares with us and speaks to us by name. But we also need to understand there's something serious about God. We don't meet God on our terms. We meet Him on His. Like this is not a God that's to be made up and say, well, I'm comfortable with this about it. Let's just put a little Plato model and that'll be my Jesus. No, He says that, that's, that's a fake thing. I'm going to ask you to invite you to come to me on my terms. In all my holiness and all that I am, I'm inviting you. But understand, that's a serious invitation. That God is not some just buddy in a bathrobe. He's God. And he invites us in. That's why we see the beauty of Hebrews chapter 10 when it talks about who we are as Christians, as brothers and sisters, as family, as children adopted by God. That now we have this incredible it's just mind-blowing invitation 
In chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. Now, I want to stop there. That was something that was unheard of to people because there was only one person who could go one time of year to the one place to meet the presence of God until Jesus came. But because of Jesus, every single person that knows Him as a child is able to boldly enter into a holy place with God. And He's inaugurated a new and living way. Not an old dead way. Since we have this high, great high priest over the house of God, let's draw near now with true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That there's this incredible invitation that the seriousness of God is not distanced from us anymore. But we need to understand where we're, who, who we're approaching. We also see not only the seriousness, but we see the security of God. When He talks about his pattern of how he has shown himself. He says, Moses, I'm your father's God. You know, the one that's still back in Egypt? I'm his God. I worked in his life. I was there when you were born. And not only his life, but I go back further than that. I go, I go back further than just your generation or the generation before you. I go back hundreds of generations. I am the same God who was there with Abraham. When Abraham was a stranger, a foreign alien in a foreign land, there was no such thing as the people of Israel. There was just this one dude in a foreign land, and I saw him, and I had favor upon him, and I showed graciously, and I said, I want to show my promise to you. I'm that God. And then his son, I was here with him, with him too, Isaac. I helped him live in a land that was not his own. And Jacob and all the children, I've been there with them. I am showing that I am a God that doesn't just start all over with another generation and say, well, past generations don't matter to me. From eternity to eternity, I am God. And I'm just as secure in holding them in peace as I am with you right now. And as long as I tarry, I will be with other generations ahead. But for this moment, I am with you, calling you. And I want to show you that there's security with those who've trusted me before. It shows us that God is not just some God that pops up every now and then or is useful just in one moment but not useful in other generations. It shows that He's the God who keeps the dead and raises them. He makes them to be known as the God of the living. That's what Jesus told us. And Moses' reaction to being on a first-time basis with God is just utter humility. I mean, how do you respond to that? Think about it. How do you respond to the fact that God invited you and I to a close encounter. That this morning when we got to church, I mean, it wasn't like we left God here last week and now we come back and we're with God again. But every day he, he wakes up with us and he says, hey, I've been watching over you all night. Been singing over you according to what Zechariah tells us. And, and this morning I'm waking up with you and now you get the privilege in a land that I've provided that's really nice to go and worship with, with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. How big of a deal is that to you? I mean, that I'm just God and I've invited you to do so. Kind of a significant invitation. It's a close encounter that changes everything. It changes everything for Moses, but Moses is still a little apprehensive because not only do we see when God gives us this close encounter, God doesn't just do it without a purpose. God has a calling in that close encounter. And that's the, the next element that we see, this, this next part that we discover is this calling encounter. And in it we see the Redeemer's motive. Verses 7 through 10. It tells us 
and 7 through 10 of what God has seen. He says, I've observed the misery of my people. I've seen their oppressors. I've seen their suffering. And I have a promise, a promise that is not foreign to them. It's a promise I started generations back with Abraham. And I'm going to give them this land. And here's how I'm going to do it. I've come down to provide this rescue. But I'm also sending you. I'm going to do it. Because I'm the God. I'm, I'm, I'm God. I'm the one that's able to do it. But guess what? I'm inviting you along, Moses. I'm asking you to play your part. I'm asking you to do the role that I have written for you. To live this out. Why? Because we first see the Redeemer's motives. He's heard. He's observed. He's listened. He saw what's going on. We talked about last week that the eyes and ears of the Lord on the oppressor are something that He does not miss. And when He specifically tells His people to be involved, now we see why God brings a reckoning. Because we close our ears and our eyes and our hearts to what God would never close His ears and His eyes and His hearts to. He would never do it. And here we see the Redeemer's motive to do this, to invite Him to join along. He says, I want to rescue a people and I want to use it through you. I can't imagine this moment, what it was like. I mean, all I can get and see is what's given. You know, there's movies and all that kind of thing that might try to paint the picture. But I can't imagine the gravity of it. I can't imagine how huge... That must have been, especially for Moses. Here's the guy that's now 80. When he left Egypt, it was 40 years ago. 40! I'm trying to think about that. I'm turning 40 in two more years. I'm like, all right, so thinking back to the age of 1980, how long ago life is different since 1980? Imagine how different life is for Moses now that another 40 years has passed. And yet God is saying, I am going to use you to bring mercy and help. To those that need, I have a heart to save those who are crying out for me. Isn't that good that God has a heart and has a way of rescuing those that cry out to Him? It's awesome that God hears those cries. It's awesome that God doesn't say, well, first of all, you've got to get your life into this place and position before I'll ever pay attention to you. I will rescue those who cry out for me and rescue. And I will send people to bring them that news so they may know who I am. That is a part of our calling as a church. I think back of what Jesus said about the two people that went up to the temple courtyard to pray. One was a very religious person, a Pharisee. He had a life that would be uh, admired, a life that would be encouraged, a life that would be uh, applauded. And his prayer in that moment, whenever he's at the courtyard, is he's looking over his fellow man, a tax collector, who would be considered a sinner unworthy of God, and his prayer was, God, thank you, I'm not that guy. That was the element and, uh, and, and limit of his spiritual moment to be as close to the presence of God as he could be. Thank God I'm not him. Thank you. But Jesus said the tax collector went down his knees, could not even look up, and he said, Kyrie eleison. Not the 80s song. But the, the words in Latin mean, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus brings the point really close. Who left with redemption that day? The one who called on the Lord to save. 
That's the heart that God gives us. And, and you know, people have this different question about what, is, what does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? Well, I want to let you know that calling upon the name of the Lord is not like, uh-huh, okay, I get that, yeah, I'll do that. I'm just nod my head at Jesus. No, it's to be humble to say, God, I cannot believe in your love you would invite me to know you into your close presence, and that you have something for my life to make out of this mess that I've made it. So have mercy on me. That's my prayer. And God says a heart that comes to the Lord and that, that contrite heart, He will never turn away. That's a sinner's prayer. Not some memorized little note that we just say, alright, I'm saved. Okay. It's coming to God and recognizing who He is. Laying our lives down to Him and saying, God, I thank You. Forgive me, show me mercy and forgiveness, and you will say it. God has his heart and his eyes attuned to that. God has a motive to be the Savior. It echoes throughout Scripture. And that's a part of the call that we see in these encounters that God just says, just as I'm reaching out to you to bring you mercy, I'm going to use you to help others see that I bring mercy. We see the Redeemer's motive. We see the Redeemer's mission. He's, his goal is to transfer His people out of suffering, oppression, abuse, and slavery to bring them to a land of promise. A land where they can worship Him. A land where they can be His people. A land where they can be a demonstration of His love and what He is able to do among the peoples of men. That's what God is working to do. To bring them from slavery to worship and witness. That's a part of God's mission. And if that's something that doesn't echo in our life whenever we called out to the Lord, I would recognize that we probably didn't call out to the Lord. We probably called for an insurance company. Not that insurance is bad. I'm glad we have insurance. They did a great work here. But calling out to the Lord, it means that I'm being rescued from where I was to being a person set apart for the purpose of worshiping and witnessing the Lord. And if my life is not echoing that, what, what... What was I saved from? What was the purpose of it all? And whenever we see that God did that for us, His benevolence and His grace, how heartless it would be for us to say, well, thanks for doing that. Hope you get to other people, God. Bye. God was not going to allow Moses to do that. Why would you think He allows us to do that? That's disobedience. We see the Redeemer's means. He says, I'm going to save this people. I'm going to bring about and show my motive, my heart. I'm going to work my mission. And I'm going to have you as my means. I'm sending you, Moses. Let us not be mistaken. God is ascending on mission God. And God has already defined His means. In the Old Testament, God sent multiple people. He sent Joseph into to Egypt who would eventually become a slave, but end up saving people from famine. He, he sends Moses now to deliver slaves. He sent Elijah to influence international politics. He sent Jeremiah to proclaim God's word. Jesus said he was sent to seek and to save that which lost. And as he was sent, he also sent his disciples to preach and demonstrate the gospel. Uh, the church sent Paul and Barnabas to send aid during famine and to evangelize and plant churches. And then uh, Paul sent Titus to revitalize a messy church on the island of Crete. And as we see in the book of Ephesians that we are God's manifest, adopted, preset instrument, His means of helping people see His mercy. About helping them see the Redeemer's heart. To help reveal 
This is the Lord. So we see a calling encounter. Let us not miss that as a part of God's redemptive work and how He reveals who He is. There's that close personal invitation. There's that calling for a purpose. And then there's that clarifying encounter. Moses gets in this long little dialogue back and forth with God. He ends up giving about five excuses and God has the ultimate rebuttal, the ultimate response. But each one of them, each excuse shows Moses' insufficiency and I would dare say would be things that we would still hear echoed in the church. Maybe it wouldn't be so far as saying those people over there, it might be in the pew in the heart right here. Moses' insufficiency is revealed. He says, uh, basically an estimate in verses 3.11 through 4.17. First of all, who am I? I don't have the right credentials. Uh, I don't think I'm of real value here, God. I mean, have you seen my life? I'm a backwater, eight-year-old, wilderness, shepherd-smelling person that nobody knows anymore. I'm out of date, out of time. I'm done. I have no real value. He says, you know, no one's going to listen to me. I, I don't have the abilities I used to. I don't have the connections I used to. I don't have the reputation I used to. In fact, the fact that I had to run and become a fugitive from as an outlaw because I committed murder, I know that the old guy, he passed away, that the same Pharaoh is not the same Pharaoh today. But I have no reputation. I, I can't work over there. Have you seen me? I'm a mess. I'm of no real value. Here, here's another one as, as you keep going. He says, um, I don't know your name. I mean, if people ask me, who it is that sent you, I don't really know you that well, God. I mean, you know my name, but I don't really know your name. You said you're the God from these people in the past. But I, I've heard about you from my father-in-law. I've seen what their knowledge of you is. But, I mean, we don't really know each other that well. How could you use someone that doesn't really know you that well? I don't have a lot to say, right? I mean, what would I even say? What's your name? Then he goes on to say, well, I don't think anyone will believe me, God. I mean... I'm this crazy guy that saw a burning bush. That sounds weird, right? I mean, this whole idea of God talking to you and being personal with you, that, that's, that's a lot. I don't have confidence in that. And then he says, I don't think I have the right words. I'm not eloquent. I stutter. I don't, we don't know exactly what his problem was as far as being eloquent. He says, I've never been eloquent. I don't have the, I don't have good communication skills. What, what do I even talk about? I don't talk so good. Me fail English. It's impossible. I don't know. And he goes, at the end of it, after God keeps demonstrating, he says, I, I just don't think I'm the right person for them. Can't you send somebody else? I mean, just can't somebody else do it? I, I, I don't know if I had that commitment level. I just, I tried before. I'm done. Yeah, you see Moses' arrogance. I mean, it's, it's all these different excuses. But in it, it shows Moses' insufficiency. And I don't know about you, but maybe some of those excuses have resonated in your heart. They've certainly resonated in mine. And we can kind of be like, oh, silly Moses when we read that. But when we look at it and look like, really look at it, we're like, oh, snap. Um, I, I think I might have said that to God before. In fact, I might, I might be saying it now. I mean, I'm, I'm like wondering why we, we need to be more on mission. We need to do more at the church. Maybe I'm the excuse giver. Guilty. I've done it. We can't do that. I'm not, no, we don't have that. We don't have that ability. But in it all, showing Moses' insufficiency, we see God's sufficiency. He says, first of all, I'm going to give you my presence. 
I will be with you. This is a non-negotiable when it comes to serving God. Because when that is put out front, I mean, that should be just the end of the discussion. I, as God, the one who is infinite in power, knowledge, wisdom, presence, and all things, am going to be with you. Do you have a greater excuse than that? You have something that tops that. What's your response? What's your debate back? God, I'm going to be, God says, I'm going to be with you. That's what he gives Moses, but make no excuses. That's what he told his disciples in the Great Commission. He says, I will be with you until the end of the age, and I'm the one that has all authority in heaven and earth. So what's your excuse? I'm sitting here looking at God in his presence like, I got nothing. Let me try to dig my hole a different way. Um, okay, well, I don't really know if I know you that well. What if people think I'm crazy? God says, I'm the preeminent one. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I cause to be everything that you have. Don't put a limitation on my name. Don't put a limitation on my preeminence, my, my majesty. Understand the name of God is central revealing who He is. When we say God, that might be a three-letter, small, small word, but it has infinite, immense significance. And He's the one who has all authority, whose name is greater than any name, the one who started it all, who will bring it all to fruition, and yet has invested Himself in people to fill His mission. The Bible says about the name of Jesus, says, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to Him be the glory forever. That's Romans 11. And God tells this about His name. He says, what, you do, what, do, what do you do with my name? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and share my name and my word to the elders in Egypt. Go share it to these leaders of the families. These people that are entrusted with representation. Let them know who I am. Because guess what? They have known of me from their ancestors, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but they need to know me more. I want to you to bring on what is a close encounter with me. Tell them this. Show them my calling, what I've said to my people. Help them understand and listen. And God told them, I'm going to give the ears to these people, these leaders that you think will not care or discount who you are, I'm going to give them ears to hear you. But who's not going to have ears to hear you is the Pharaoh. But even then, I'm going to work miraculously because I am who I am. People may echo I'm the greatest, but when I say it, I mean it. And with that, my name being preeminent, I am who I am, I exist, I will be, Always who I am. I want you to see my power. I'm going to reveal my strong arm through you. We're going to be talking about the plagues in a few weeks. What God does to show His power. I'm going to be there to, to show you my provision. You may say, I don't have words. I don't talk so good. I, I sound funny. And I'm going to tell you, if there's a case for that right here, you have a Mississippi boy as your Michigan pastor. How in the world did that happen? God can give us words and help us reach a people. He said that in essence, your insufficiency is actually irrelevant compared to my incomparable sufficiency. Do you get that? Your insufficiency is actually irrelevant compared to God's incomparable sufficiency. 
And not only will I show you my provision, I'll show you my presence. Patience. And Moses' last excuse is like, can't you save somebody else? And God already knows what knows what's going to happen. It wasn't like this shock God. It didn't make him angry that it actually happened and Moses was actual response. But God still has already prepared Aaron, his brother, to go with him. He says, I'm not asking you to do this alone. I'm going to send you to the elders. They're going to be with you. I'm going to send Aaron. They're going to be with you. There's going to be people that are going to stand with you. You're not doing this alone. This is not some Lone Ranger mission. How is this possible? Well, what we see is, once again, God is a very personal God. And when He draws near to us, He says, I, I want to show you a love that is unlike any other. But I also want to show you a life and a mission that, that is set apart to do my will. And, and I don't want you to be mistaken. This is why revelation of God for the redemption of God is so necessary. I don't want you to be mistaken. I don't want you to misconstrue who I am. I don't want you to misconstrue my word. I don't want you to misconstrue my mission. I want you to know this. And know that the promise of I being with you and I, who I am, is enough can help bring this clarity, this love, this redemption to others. I love what Billy Graham said. It says, the will of God will never lead us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. The will of God will never lead us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. Some people say, and, and bless their heart, I'm not trying to curse in, in, in Southern, I promise. But they'll say the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. I can say yes and no on that. Yes, there is security, there is assurance, there is grace in the, being in the center of God's will. But you know what else there is? Risk. There is obedience. There is trust that is required to be in the center of God's will. It will lead you somewhere beyond your insufficiency to declare. The safest will is to be in the sufficient one's plan. To be a part of His direction. To know Him more. To be sustained by His grace. And this is good news for us. Because in this, this calling, in this clarity, in this close encounter, we see something that's going to ripple. That what began as a God continuing His promised redemptive work is ultimately fulfilled in the Gospel. This all is pushing forward and saying these are, these are tremors, these are before shockwaves of the, the incredible big one that is the Gospel. That God says, once again, in the Gospel, I'm saying, this is who I am. And this is what I see. The oppression and, and, and punishment and slavery of sin. I see the offense of it, the blight of it, the terrible nature of it. And yet I am sending one. Because I'm ascending God. I'm sending myself. And I'm going to provide what is necessary through the work of the cross. Something that I alone can do. And I'm going to provide the gift as, as a personal response. And it's going to hang and change your eternity. Well, it was once predetermined and default that people were going to die in their sin and go to hell. I will change that because of my grace and, re and redemption to them. And I'm going to transform their life. But as I do that to my church, as I bring that, I'm once again reminding them that I am a close God. But I'm calling them and I'm clarifying, do not miss out on who I am, what I do, and what I want you to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Today, as we uh, take this moment to respond to the, the incredible bigness and huge declaration and revelation of who you are, I pray that in this moment we would respond appropriately. 
I know the temptation would be just to kind of shirk it off, to, to just brush it off our shoulders and, and do our own thing. But in this moment, God, I pray that the holy character and, and immensity of Your name would be so impressed on who we are that, God, we would do what we're supposed to do in worship. We would look upon You and trust. And we would say, here I am, send me whatever You have for me. I, I'm Yours. That this worship time is not about what I can get, God. It's about where I can give because of what You've already given. So Jesus, help us respond to You in a way that is pleasing, in a way that is good, in a way that is worshipful. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Each week we provide this time of response. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what every single need in this room is. Maybe your time of response is, is a time of personal, close prayer with God right now where you're at. And make no mistake, God can do that right where you're at. It doesn't require you going through another person. And maybe there's some things that you need to get right with God. There's a lack of peace. There's some kind of something going on in your life that just between you and Him, you need to have that fresh encounter with His closeness. Maybe you need to be reminded of His calling. Maybe there's something He's trying to clarify in His life that you need to, to say, okay, God, I get it. For some in this room, you may be here and and you have a lack of peace with God because you don't know God to begin with. I mean, you just really don't. You've, you've heard about Him, but you've never placed your trust in His hands. You, you've never seen Him as the redeeming one. And today you need to trust in the Lord and say, God, I've heard about you saying having mercy and forgiveness. I am asking you, I'm pleading with you today, based on what I've heard about you, have mercy on me. A sinner in need of a Savior. And God says a broken and contrite heart He will not turn away. If that's you today and you need peace with God, you can call upon Him in a sincere, genuine way. And He says, I will save you in the most sincerest and genuine of ways through Jesus. Others in this room may say, I have peace with God about that. But there's some other things that I'm wrestling through. I have questions about. Or another next step that I need to take. I'm going to be up here at the front as the music plays. And, and should you need someone to talk about those next steps, I don't know what it would be. It could be something very personal that's just between you and the Lord. Or maybe it's a step that involves the church, like becoming a member or being baptized. Maybe you're that person who says, I've never taken that first step with Jesus, and I, I need some help with that. I just... I need clarity. What does that mean? I'll be here at the front. If you need someone to talk to, someone to pray with, someone to encourage you, I'll I'll be here to offer any counsel I can as the music plays. You please follow as the revealing God has revealed.